Good evening and welcome to Bleak, a true crime podcast where the outlook isn't so good. We're your hosts, Laura and Amanda, two sisters from the same mister. And mom, too. And Mrs. Too. And Mrs. Too. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're divorced, but they're still the same. (laughs) We're still from the same couple, which... We are not half-siblings. We are not half-siblings, but we have half-siblings. Yes. And step-siblings, too. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, tonight we are covering um, the case of Sasha Krause, 27-year-old female from... Uh, the murderers, uh, she was living at the time in Farmington, New Mexico. Uh, this is a more recent case. Um, and, uh, giving our case, um, up our, uh, notes tonight will be Amanda, take it away. Yay. All right. Hello. So... As Laura mentioned, this case actually happened in 2020, so super recent. Um, One of the reasons I really wanted to cover this case is because other than seeing a documentary on this case, I have not heard any other podcasts cover it. That's not to say that none have. I just have not come across any. And I have not seen any other, like, 2020, 48 Hours, Dateline cover it other than the People Magazine Investigates. So, and I watch a lot of, a lot of true crime stuff. <laughs> we both and, do. And yes. so it was, I wanted to do something that, you know, maybe people hadn't heard about. Uh, and so this seemed like a very fitting case. And the victim was very young, which is always extra horrible. So I'm just going to jump right into it here. Uh, Sasha Krause was 27 years old at the time of her murder. She was living in a small community in Farmington, New Mexico. She actually was originally born in a small town in Texas. She came from uh, six, there were six siblings in her family, including her. By all accounts, they were a very close family. Sasha, just some of her interests she loved. She was a writer. She actually Mm -hmm. wrote music and hymns, and she... So they were like, pretty religious. Very religious. I would imagine. And she was actually born into a Mennonite family. And being a Mennonite is something that comes up in this case a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's so I'll get into what I know about Mennonites and how that plays into this particular case uh, a little bit later. So at the time of her disappearance and murder, she was working at, uh, she was living on this lamp and light community in Farmington, New Mexico. Now I'm just going to say this now. <laughs> there is a strip club in Minnesota, in St. Paul called the lamp. The lamp lighter. Every- oh yeah. Right on Lexington. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every time when I first was cut, like listening to the research for this case and things like that, every time I heard lamp and light, lamp and light, all I could imagine was this woman in like, Religious garb, with like a bonnet, like dancing as a stripper, stripping because of the so, lamplighter. Yes. Yeah, and if you live, don't, we're, we live in Minnesota, but if if you don't aren't familiar with Minnesota, we just happen to have a random strip club <laughs> in St. Paul, and yeah, it's just one of those things that I think people that live in that area just knew knew of it because it was in a very populated yeah area it was so anyway so always knew it was there yes so just know that as i'm talking every time i say the word lamp and light i'm imagining a stripper (laughs) so anyhow sorry if that was inappropriate she uh so back to sasha living on the lamp and light compound she was not a stripper she was actually a publisher or she worked in the publishing house on the compound Um, she spoke three languages and she would actually translate religious texts. So she was very smart. Yeah. Very Um, bright young girl. Right. And just by all accounts, she was very sure of herself and her decisions and like, not like a lost soul or anything like that. Very, you know, was happy with where her life was and all of that. So a couple things about the Mennonites, um, unlike Amish people, 
because I think a lot of people, when they hear Mennonites, they probably think of similarities to Amish people. Right. Um, They actually create their own rules when it comes to their interactions with modern life. Right. So, for example, Sasha had a car and a cell phone, which... Amish people typically do not, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. And so that was... But yet they'd have other strict rules. And sometimes it didn't really... And I'm, this is not a criticism of them, but it didn't really make sense. Like, you could have a car and a cell phone, but then, you know, they have this hierarchy of God, Jesus, man, woman. So, well, yeah. As a woman in the Mennonite community, like you're the low man on the totem pole, kind <laughs> right, of essentially. Right. right. So, yeah. you know, I. That was just how. That was their ideology. That's what. You know, whether. Whatever you think about that, that is what their hierarchy is. So another thing about Mennonites is they do not join the military, typically. Not typically, they don't <laughs> at all. Right, right, because I think they're an- kind of anti... They're pacifists. Pacifists. They're pacifists. That's a good word. Yeah. They do not become police officers, and they are considered non-resistant, meaning they believe whatever was meant to happen is God's will. So if I... I'm going to attack you and try to get your wallet. I'm just going to let, I'm just going to be like, okay. Yes. You're not going to pull out a weapon and try to fight that person off. They're not going to even try to say, no, you can't have my wallet. They're literally just going, they're saying, you know what? God wanted it to go this way. And actually Laura and I were talking about this prior to the podcast a little bit and Again, I'm not, this is not a criticism of Mennonites because that's not why we're here. But our question is: Isn't it God's will if you resist and then the person ends up you fight them off? Like, wouldn't right. that be God's will right. as well? That became God's will, and because it, you had it in you to fight this person off, yes, and, and and they you got away or you survived. Now, wouldn't that also be God's will? And yeah. I think it's problematic to. Make it known that you are a non-resistant entity because that could put a target on your back. Right, right. If you know I can attack a Mennonite and they're not going to do anything, I mean, that could be very problematic. due to their dress, you know, the bonnet, the whole deal, they kind of stick out. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) Like, in society a a little bit. Yes. So, at the time of this crime, Sasha had been living on the compound for 18 months. So, by all, by all accounts, she fit right in on the compound. She didn't have, like, major issues, really, with anybody. She loved living there. She, you know, had her duties at the publishing house, and then she would attend services several nights a week and provide the music. And that, she kind of just had her, her routine at, and she was enjoying her life, yeah. had no reason that she wouldn't want to be there. Right. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to kind of skip to where she, they notice that she's not there, essentially. So Sasha lived on the compound in like what they would maybe refer to as like a dorm right. within the compound. And she had two roommates so it sounded like it may be like a small apartment where they each had their own bedroom but there was like a communal bathroom right and then i think maybe there was like a communal kitchen on another site right where everybody went to that was kind of my impression yeah and so she had two roommates lily and lucinda and they were also uh in their 20s like she was Mm-hmm. And it's a, they lived in a building called the the Lighthouse Building. With and a really strict curfew, by the way. Yes, that does thing. come up as well. So at 1 o'clock in the morning... Different for a 27-year-old, to say. Yes, for sure. <laughs> at 1 a.m., Lucinda wakes up. So it isn't like it... So they have this 10 p.m. curfew, as Laura just mentioned. It isn't like they have to check in at 10 p.m., Right. But 
people also on that compound were not breaking curfew. Like, that's just not something they ever did. No. They it was, were, And that was something set up, I think, by... Well, didn't, didn't they say the church elders? Yeah, or, you didn't know, they the could church... make their own rules. So I don't right. know if that was just specific to that compound or yeah. something all yeah, the nights do. Yeah. That was... Uh, that's... I don't know. But that was the, the case on this particular okay. one. Perfect. So Lucinda wakes up at 1 a.m. She notices that Sasha's door is ajar. And her room light is on, which, again, I don't think they're up at 1 a.m., you know, doing things on a regular basis. So Lucinda thought this was odd. And yeah, she so she ventures into her room. I think she had gotten up to use the, the restroom or something. And she goes into her room and notices Sasha's not there. And this in and of itself was extremely alarming because... Sasha had lived there 18 months. She's never broken curfew before. Right. And so initially she's like, okay, let's look around the, the dorm. I'm just going to call it that to see if she's anywhere else within the dorm. And she was not. And so the first thing Lucinda does is she calls Sasha's phone and it goes straight to voicemail, which is odd. And, uh, but apparently she was not, even at night, she didn't turn her phone off. So that was unusual for her. And. Well, yeah, she had family living in in Texas. Texas, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so at that point, because she's a woman in the Mennonite community, she isn't going to decide the course of action. She's going to get a community elder Somebody, a man, exactly, (laughs) a man, to tell her what needs to happen. So she ended up calling, it was a man who was Sasha's boss at the publishing company, who also lived on the compound, told him what was going on. The first thing they did was check to see if her car was there, and it was. Her vehicle was still there. So... That's odd because she's gone. So I think their first initial thought was maybe she got hurt and is off somewhere, you know, like broke her leg and she can't get help. Right. So they just did like a quick search of the compound and she's just nowhere to be found. So there'd be very few scenarios that would prevent her from making her curfew. Right. Very few. Yes. Yeah. So I think they knew something very was very odd going on, like, from the get-go. So they did place a 911 call um, within that first hour that they noticed she was missing. So at this point, we're talking maybe 2 o'clock in the morning. And they reported Sasha missing. And the, the police did respond quickly. And they... It, I have no... Um, criticism really of the police in this particular case right just for future reference if i think the police did a terrible job i'm gonna say that and if absolutely and if they do a great job and deserve praise i am i'm also going to yes say that as well so credit credit you know credit lies where credit's due yep so this particular case they did well i think they Mm -hmm. you know sometimes when these cases they say oh well she just ran away i think it's it sounded like they knew something was really wrong because she was willingly living on that compound. She, her car was there and just, there were no indications that she would have just left. Right. Well, another thing too, is that, uh, because they were so close to the compound, the police were now were, were in the same, uh, community is the compound they were super familiar with right mennonites yes and their beliefs were. yeah so that that gave them they knew off the bat like yeah the mennonite i mean they would make their curfew like that yeah and how yeah. big of a deal that actually right. was right. right um so the police were baffled because they um they did the first thing they did was search her car and thinking you know maybe they'd find blood or something and nothing appeared to be out of sorts in her vehicle. Mm-hmm. They didn't find anything unusual. So the first thing they do is they start interviewing people that she knew, fellow Mennonites, because that's right. how an investigation typically starts. Makes they, sense. Yeah. They start with the people closest to you. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that stood out was apparently Lucinda, her roommate, 
and Sasha both had a crush on this man named Stan, mm -hmm. who was also like a 20-something-year-old man. Now, Mennonite. I can imagine, yes, I can imagine that there aren't a ton of eligible bachelors within, <laughs> no. the, like, in your age range within the right. Mennonite community. It's probably, you know, at first thought, you're like, oh, well, this could have been a love triangle. But the more you think about it, it's like, well, the... The idea that two women would like the same man when your pickings are very slim, right. it probably happens. Oh, I'm I mean, sure it does. I can't imagine that that... I'm sure it does. And even though they're Mennonites, they are human. There's jealousy. I mean, right. You know. And so it, Lucinda, in her interviews with police, the police, uh, the police officers they interviewed on one of the documentaries I watched said she did appear to be hiding something, Lucinda did, and she did admit that the relationship she had with Sasha was difficult at right. times. But Lucinda agreed to have her DNA taken. And they really had nothing to hold her on. So she was, you know, like, free to oh, go. Yeah. And then um, they obviously did notify her family in Texas that she was missing at this point. And her family in Texas, you know, said, hey, we know of nobody that... Uh, no enemies she was well respected and so they were really like had no clue what to think of what was going on right um did the parents travel up do you know i to... believe they did but they didn't okay. really i yeah. couldn't find a lot of information on that hmm. um so the san juan county sheriff's office ended up uh starting like a major investigation with a canine unit and um, at one point, there was, like, a random Jeep in the area that they stopped. And it was just, like, a guy that nobody really knew who he was. And he said, well, I'm just helping finding that lady. And they kind of thought that was a little weird. But nothing ended up coming of that. And then another thing that came up was um, above the compound, there was, like, a almost like a hill that other oh. people lived on that they could actually kind of see into the compound. Mm. And it was this family called the Lappings oh. that lived on this hill. Mm -hmm. And some of the Mennonite women were complaining that the Lappings would actually be like looking at them with binoculars. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> concerning. Concerning. Yeah, you, you're thinking, could it and be that the Lappings? Right. And then they're also putting up cameras oh. to like videotape them. And they're like, well, this it's is... Up strange they sound a little creepy yeah a little, cre little creepy so the lappings are like you know thing. we just have these cameras up because we're tracking animals and, and oh and they're and people are like yeah okay that's bizarre <laughs> but they actually you know they investigated the lappings and they actually were telling the truth that oh. on these cameras they allowed them to watch the camera footage yeah. they really were tracking animals so okay well they good for the lappings but strange still still odd yes yeah, something to odd. look into for yeah. sure yeah <laughs> and then the another suspect early on um before you know while she was still just a missing persons was this man named samuel coon okay. who was a co-worker of hers at the publishing company and he actually stopped by the compound on the day sasha went missing around the same time Sasha was last seen. So Sasha had been seen sometime in the late afternoon. Get, she had stopped by the, like, I think it was the library or one of the buildings to get some music that she had written to bring to a service, like, on the following day. Okay. That was the last time anybody had seen her, and apparently this Samuel Kuhn coincidentally happened to be stopping by the compound right around that time and they thought you know it was a little suspicious was because he a Mennonite? I believe he was mm-hmm okay and apparently like he his story changed a little bit like the first time he said he talked with police he said he went through one entrance and then the next time he talked to the police he said a different entrance and of course they're looking for inconsistent statements can right. um although i do think witnesses 
can tell inconsistent stories and still be telling the truth because people's recall can be really bad. Yes. But yes. that's still something that they look for. Right. And uh, he had been with his wife, so of course, oh. and he had mentioned stopping at the gas station. So they checked gas station surveillance, and he was on surveillance, but his wife could not be seen in the vehicle at the gas station. Oh. Now, I wasn't clear whether they could see that she wasn't in the vehicle or if they just couldn't tell. Oh, um, okay. if he was lying Cause, or not Yeah, because why? That? if you're totally innocent, why would you lie about that? You wouldn't. Uh, so you, I think it wouldn't. was just that they couldn't see whether she was there or not. Because it was dark or whatever. Okay. So at that point, they can't completely eliminate Samuel. Um, he did refuse a polygraph, which I... Let me tell you, I personally would probably refuse a polygraph no matter what. And I'm one who thinks that it makes you look guilty. To refuse it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I guess... I feel Because like... there are people, though, that fail them that are telling the truth. Right. And the they're, lawyers... They're not 100%. Lawyers tell people not to take them ever. I know. I, know. I don't know. So I, I feel like if I didn't do something, I'm gonna pass. I right. Mean, well, I take a medication called metoprolol, which oh, actually sure. slows down your heart rate, so okay. yeah. that can have an effect as well. Right. That which makes obviously sense. that doesn't apply to most people, but there can be and there can be psychopaths who can pass them oh, because yeah. they're a psychopath. They're, they're not <laughs> foolproof. That's no. the thing. And so but to refuse it outright be like, nope. It just I mean, there's that percent of guilt you are automatically going to but they are not admissible in court right so right anyhow this okay. particular person refused it right um <clears throat> i think there's we could go on about that probably for a while <laughs> yeah but uh i don't think it, it it you can refuse it and be innocent and it's legal to and refuse. And vice versa. It's legal to refuse it. Yes. Yeah, you can um, do that. Samuel also helped search for Sasha, and this lead eventually ends up going really nowhere. Right. So a month passes, and this there's just nothing new is coming up. And then, uh, just when they think, you know, this case is going to be a cold case, on February 21st, 2020, so this was about... A month after her disappearance, 260 miles away in a town near Flagstaff, Arizona, a woman's body was found by a camper who was, so she was camping in this uh, very rural area. Remote. And remote area. Yes, that's what I meant to say. And uh, <laughs> she was looking for firewood, mm -hmm. and she happens across a woman's body. Right. And she was extremely upset, as anybody oh, would be. Yeah. The body, actually, of this woman was in very good condition because now we're talking about February. Mm -hmm. Even though it's Arizona, it still gets cold in certain areas. Right. So she had actually, the body of this person had been relatively preserved because of the cold conditions. Right. And it actually, her this person's body was under a sagebrush that kept her body out of the sun. So okay. because of those two factors, you know, it wasn't like they had this decomposed body that they couldn't get any information from. Right. It was actually very well preserved. So they, um, she, this woman called the police. She was very upset and, uh, the police obviously responded and it, it was a woman dressed in Mennonite garb. She was, and also had like a zip up hoodie jacket on. Mm-hmm. And had a bonnet on, and it, of course, was Sasha Kraus. Mm -hmm. And she was actually laying on her, uh, what, what do we call that, on her stomach, essentially. Yeah. So yeah. her they couldn't tell until they flipped her over that her hands were bound with duct tape. And so that's an ominous sign. That's not, not a natural death. Um, right. And one thing I found was odd is they talked about her fingerprint they they identified her through fingerprints but i'm like why would her fingerprints be on file <laughs> that is interesting yeah so anyway that i never I mean, got like an explanation for could that it be like i'm trying to think like those you know how they at those fairs and stuff they have those kid fingerprint things do they keep those on file 
I mean, I'm just trying to think of, or was she an, an employee somewhere where she needed her fingerprints on Th- That's the only thing I can think of. Like a bank or a, at some point had she In been her employed. Life. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, that, I couldn't find any other information on that. That's really interesting. Yeah, why were her fingerprints on file as a Mennonite? Woman? Right. And also, what I mean, scenario? how many missing women are there that are going to be dressed that way? I mean, <laughs> right. Not not too many. But they still have to formally identify well, her regardless. Right. Of course. So, there'll be some kind of costume party or you know, or anything. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like do you want to be, be a Mennonite for Halloween, Laura? <laughs> no, no, not this year. But not this year. But well, maybe some year. Yeah. Oh. So of course, her family was notified. They were devastated. Um. They held a funeral for her. There were like literally hundreds and hundreds of people. They played music that she had written. It was very oh, um, touching. Very yeah. nice funeral from all accounts. And. So then, of course, they did an autopsy on her body, and she had no defensive wounds whatsoever. So that kind of backs up the fact that she followed her. To me, you know, even if you really, truly are so religious and really believe, to me it's like when you get into that situation with, like, adrenaline, you'd think maybe there are going to be people that resist. Do you know what I mean? If you're being hurt how i don't understand how you can resist like you're being whatever's happening to you you're being stabbed you're being shot how can you just resist that I right d- I d- some I of it is almost like involuntary right yes right so but she apparently now she well, her hands were bound too her hands were bound and so she didn't resist the binding, I don't think. Right. Because there was no nothing to indicate it was, that. She wasn't scratching at him or anything. Right. Yeah. And there's absolutely no DNA found at the scene. Right. So either the assailant wore gloves or that was the most likely. So that kind of shows an element of planning. Right. Right. The, um, they were wearing some kind of gloves or protective... Right, here. and she did have a gunshot wound to the back of the head from a twenty-two caliber. So that was quick. Right, that was a quick. So yeah, so I mean, they yeah. might there maybe wasn't much of a scuffle, right? Given the fact that she was shot, right? And um, no sexual assault, so it didn't seem oh, wow. like a sexual motive. Which I was a little surprised because when you think of, I always for some odd reason. You think of, like, somebody with some kind of weird perversion that, like, was like, oh, I want to assault this Mennonite lady, you know, which is terrible. It's awful. It's an awful thing, but you could that have occurred? Well, not if there wasn't a sexual assault. Right. So then it makes you start wondering, was this from inside of the community, but then they're not violent? I mean, wow. Yeah, and then they've already interviewed many people from the, and nobody has... Because it's been a month. So... Now, this is one of the parts of the case that I think is, like, fascinating. I've never heard of another case having this exact... You'll, well, you'll see what I, in a minute here. But when they... Of course, they're going to analyze her cell phone data. That's one of the first things they do. Always. Her cell phone yeah. was not on her body. And it's never been found even to this day. Really? No. But, so the San Juan County Sheriff's Office has a like a geolocation data forensic analyst named Sev, S-E-V, Dishman. Oh. And I'm sure most sheriff offices have something like this, but he seemed like, I don't know if they've just gotten better at this over the years because it's so recent, Mm -hmm. but he, um, he, he really ends up being the one to really crack this case. So they analyzed months of data leading up to the time when her phone essentially died. So okay. at 7.32 p.m., her phone is pinging off of a tower at the lamp and light compound. Right. So at this point, they know that's like the last time she's her phone is in that area. Right. Assuming her phone is on her, which it was, right. um, as far as they know. The next time is 9.30 p.m., so two hours later, mm-hmm. her phone's pinging off a tower near the Four Corners 
which oh. is um, it's where Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Utah and maybe Colorado. Yeah, Arizona. No, I said Arizona. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Anyhow, Arizona. it's where four states. Like Colorado. You're yeah, right. Yeah, four states Colorado, essentially yeah. meet up into one into one area place. Um, so pretty cool. That the phone pings off of there, and then it eventually pings off of a third site, which is the location where her body was found. Right, which so, kind of makes so it's traveling. Right. Like, where she's going. Okay. So they did check Samuel Coons, the man that we talked about earlier from the that stopped by the compound against to see if his phone records coincided with with what the data they got and he had no right. connection. So he can pretty much be eliminated at this point. Okay. So what this and I think this is brilliant. What this analyst decides to do is he says, "Okay, well, I'm going to get search warrants for all the providers." Because we don't oh. know what provider that the the uh, assailant had. Right. So they get, and I didn't even know they could do this, but they get, so like they're like AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and they say, okay, can you give me the cell phone data from any device? So they don't know which device. Whose it cause is. Nor- right. Because normally they're like, okay, I've got Billy Bob's. You know, he's a suspect. Let's check his cell phone. Right. And they get a search warrant for Billy Bob's specific device through his carrier. Right. But in this case, they didn't have that information. Like, the suspect is unknown. Right. So they get search warrants for all the the different, the AT&T, all the different providers. Right. For anybody else's device that pinged off of those three locations where Sasha's phone pinged off of. In the same time period? the same time period. Okay. Okay. So they're talking about the Lamp and Light compound. And maybe this is a newer thing. I've personally never heard of a case where they use this particular way of solving. But again, this is a recent case. Well, and it was a a rural remote area. And so it would work better. Right. Now, if you're in the city, if you're in the city, there might be hundreds of thousands, hundred or a thousand suspects. Yes, exactly. That definitely um, was helpful that it was so remote. And so after it took a long time, you know, it took uh, weeks, if not months to get this, information back but when they did there was only one other cell phone that pinged off of those same (laughs) same sites as sasha's phone yeah and ooh, not looking good for whoever that was it almost reminded me of like a reverse genealogy search right except with a cell phone fascinating yeah Yeah. and that is very close to so oh, work, yes. they found that the owner of that cell phone was identified as a man named Mark Gooch. Mark Gooch. Ooh. Now, it took me a while to say that name. I used to a... have a cat named Gooch. <laughs> and so, yeah. So no, Mark Gooch, Gooch, not Mark Taint, Mark, Taint, Mark no. Gooch. <laughs> <laughs> Such a terrible name. You know what? This guy is a gooch. He yeah, really he is. is a gooch. He's a scumbag. Yeah, just a um, jerk. Spoiler alert: Mark Gooch is not a great guy. So <laughs> he actually didn't really have like a, a criminal record. They they so they said I read that he didn't have a criminal record, but then in the documentary I watched that I also found credible because it was through People Magazine, they said he didn't have a significant criminal history. And it sounded like he, as a teenager, was involved with, like, he was troubled, you know, right. rebellious. He was involved in some theft, some burglary. I don't know if that actually meant, like, breaking into people's houses, but right. he wasn't, like, you know, in some of the articles you read, they're like, well, he had, there was just no, nothing to indicate he would ever be involved in something like this. And while it's true he did not have a violent background, right? He he was considered a troubled youth. Sure. So it's not quite. He's, he's not, not as, his is um, innocent, scot free years as they're trying to say. In, yeah, yeah. So some back. So of course they can't just immediately go and arrest him. They have no, to have to, to have get, evidence. get some information, evidence, some right. corroborating evidence, other than just the cell phone data. I right. Suppose. Yeah. So they they first they just started off by okay, 
what is this guy? What, where does he work? How old is he? Right. He was only 21 years old. So this is a young man. So he's far younger than the, the murder victim. Well, she was 27. Well, I know, but... Yeah. Yeah, he's quite a bit younger for a, a young adult. That's, right. That's a um, significant age difference. He so. was an airman in the Air Force mm. at that time. In He worked in equipment maintenance. He was stationed in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Okay. And like I had said, his criminal history is described as insignificant. Okay. Um, he was raised... They find out he was actually raised in Wisconsin. Now, something that kind of triggered a little alarm bell was that he was raised in a Mennonite community in Wisconsin. Okay. So that's a strange connection. They're both Mennonites, but they have no, as far as anybody can tell, Sasha and Mark Gooch do not know each other. So he was, okay. So, so, but that makes you think, did they, well, they're six years apart though. Huh. Okay. Um, so investigators went to Wisconsin to speak with his family and known contacts. Right. And uh, that's when they found out about his history of theft, vandalizing property. He was actually suspected but not charged in burglaries. So okay. that's... Um, but they did say, and this is something that a lot of different people that knew him said, that he developed a bitterness towards Mennonites, but nobody knew why. So there was never like, oh, he had been abused by a Mennonite elder or he had had a traumatic experience or this or that happened it was just a generalized disdain for mennonites well okay so you mentioned that he was in the army or the air force yet mennonites can't be Right in the Air Force. Yes. So, so he was not. I'm not he understanding. Was no, he this. was no longer in the Mennonite community. He had left and was no longer practicing that religion. Okay. Do, so, do they know when he left? Like as an adult, or as a, I really couldn't find anything on when he. Had so probably left. as an adult, probably fresh th- out I mean, of high school. Or yeah, something. he. It seemed okay. like he knew from early on, in something. Um, later on, his dad, Mark Gooch's dad, mentioned that his heart was never in it right. as a Mennonite. So for whatever reason, it just never was something he... He wasn't never going to continue on. No. Like, it was not his thing. So they ended up getting security footage from the base that Mark Gooch was stationed on and for the day of Sasha's kidnapping. And at 9.04 a.m., he left the Air Force Base in Phoenix and headed north. And at 4.14 p.m., so he had been driving essentially pretty much that whole time, Mark Gooch's phone pings off a tower just outside the Lamp and Light compound. Right. And so that's consistent with, um, you know, they can see he leaves his Air Force Base at in the morning. And they can see, the, there's no security footage, but they can see based on his phone, he's at this lamp and light compound. Right. Then his phone remains at that location for three hours, so he's assumingly probably uh, watching somebody, watching Sasha, or watching, look, looking for a victim. Right. And then at 8.54 p.m., his phone pings off a tower to the west, essentially the same tower where Sasha's phone's pinging off. So he's... Starting at the time he leaves the lamp and light compound, he and Sasha's phones are in sync. Okay. Essentially. So, I mean, good chance it was him. Right. Let's be real. And then with this background of not liking Mennonites. um, So at 1 a.m., his phone pings off of Sunset Crater where Sasha's body was found. Right. And then he, Gooch, arrived back on base in Phoenix just before 7 a.m. on that following morning. Okay. And that's on video surveillance. So they know he was gone that entire night. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they have this video surveillance in addition to the cell phone data. So that's some corroborating evidence. Yeah. And then two days after the murder of Sasha's murder, Gooch returned to Sunset Crater, and they think it was either to 
check her body to see if it had, was still there oh. or to, you know, maybe he was reliving some part of it. Mm. They don't really know, but they do know he returned to the site of her body and clearly he didn't or do anything. maybe he was putting the brush on. Maybe now he's a little more concerned someone's going to find it. That could be too. Oh, um, yeah. So... They, they, they were like, well, we have a lot of evidence, but we still need to look. We need to get all angles here. So the next thing they did was get his credit card information. And right. it does show that Mark Gooch stopped for gas in Farmington on the day of Sasha's disappearance. So okay. now you've got surveillance from his Air Force base. You have his cell phone data. And then now you have the uh, credit, card credit card data mm -hmm. showing he got gas there. Um, again, no evidence to indicate that Mark Gooch knew Sasha. So, of course, oh. after they got this evidence, they called Mark Gooch in for questioning. And the detective asks him, do you have any idea why a detective would want to speak with you? To which Mark Gooch answers, the only thing I can think of is maybe I was going too fast on my bike. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so... On, like, his motorcycle, I would yes. imagine? Okay. That was the so, only thing he could think it. of, That's oddly. the only reason. That's yes. all not, I Not the fact that you had murdered anybody. <laughs> no. So, no. initially he was cooperative, I think, when before he knew what they knew. Right. Um, so, they did catch him in some lies. You know, they asked him, um, initially, if he had left... You know, he, he was supposed to be on base in Arizona. Right. They asked him if he left the base. He initially completely denied leaving the base. Right. But then they're like, well, buddy, we've got this pesky stuff called security cameras. <laughs> security cameras. On, and like, do you Cell not phone. think that your, play, your uh, base has security cameras? <laughs> We're talking about the military. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. come on, buddy. Yeah. So then, of course, he admits to going to New Mexico um, oh, oh, I, I actually, I did go to I New Mexico. I did go to New Mexico. Now, Whoops, I forgot. I yes. forgot. So I went to, to New Mexico. So then, of course, the, the next question they asked him was, well, why did you go to New Mexico? Right. Gooch says he was checking church service times for Mennonite services. Oh, so now he's in the military. Now he's like, oh, I think I want to now attend some Mennonite just services. out of the just, blue. And okay. for some odd reason, he felt the need to drive all the way to New Mexico to get those schedules. <laughs> which is very because strange. Because there are no other Mennonites between there and there. Right. Whoa. Right, and that's funny you say that because something to note here, I have this in my notes, is that there are other Mennonite churches significantly closer <laughs> to him. Right. He just chose this particular lamp and light Right, and then of course the, uh, oh, the detective is like, "Well, three hours is a really long time to be inquiring about church schedules." <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I was like, "Hmm, looking for a new church." And Let's then, try that one. Yeah, three like hours a, away. Yeah. <laughs> so when asked if Gooch was still a Mennonite, he um, says he respects the church but declined to be baptized but then said he still wished to attend the church. He wishes to attend the church, but still re but remain a part of the military. You cannot do that. Right. And of course, like, they're like, well, that doesn't make sense, no. but okay, All right. Alrighty then. Yeah. <laughs> he also became tearful when asked about his relationship with the Mennonite church. And then when they asked him if something in particular caused like a falling out with the church, he was super vague, and he just basically said, I didn't really like it. I was happy to be out of it. And there was just, that was it. It was like... He didn't like it. He was happy to be out of it. But he wants to go back to the point where I'm willing to drive three hours weekly to a church service. Okay. Okay. Really <laughs> just makes right. a ton of sense. Yeah. I mean, okay. I guess he was 21 years old. So that's Right. Really he was young. I... He was young. He's like... Thinks he can fool them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then they ask him, okay, well, what's the latest you got back to the Air Force base? Because remember, he rolled in at like 7 a.m. Right. He says, couldn't have been later than 1 or 2 a.m. Now, again, they've already told him they have surveillance. <laughs> so he's lying again. Right. Just and outright. then detectives say, well, And he we... knows they know he's lying. That's the thing. He's got to know 
Yeah. So it's like, does he have a cognitive impairment? <laughs> I don't think he does. Okay. But uh, the detectives then tell him, well, it was actually 7 a.m. you rolled in, not one or two. And then he says, well, I fell asleep in my vehicle, so I probably just lost track of time. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. And then it's like, well, if you have nothing to hide, why do we keep catching you in lies? Right. Um, so once detectives re- reveal that they have the security footage mm-hmm. of, you know, then, of course, the story continuously changes, you know, as it yeah. needs to for him to be able to Try justify to yes. this. So then, of course, detectives then dire- directly ask him if he was involved in Sasha Krause's homicide he absolutely shows no emotion. So to me, if somebody, if I didn't kill someone, and I'm being asked if I did, right, I would be like, absolutely not. What are you? And talking I would probably about? be crying. Yeah, oh, because, I'd be bawling. Yeah, because yeah, like, you're the like, police service. I don't know what this is about. Right. I'd never heard of this person. And there was nothing <laughs> like that going on. He was just emotionless, and he said. Sounds like I need a lawyer because you're trying to pin something on me. That oh. was a quote from him. Jeez. So, they at while he was being questioned at the station, they had they were executing search warrants for his vehicle, and in his vehicle yeah. they found binoculars in the glove box. Okay. Well, maybe he's an avid bird watcher. You never know. Could be. Could be. They found gloves in his trunk. Okay. That would explain the lack of DNA at the oh, scene. Oh, yes, yeah. Which they kind of Now, knew. this is something that I just, I find unbelievable. They found a receipt in his vehicle for a $220 car detailing service for the date after Sasha's body was found, when they, it was released to the media. So, her body was found and it was Uh, the public was notified that her body was found on february 22nd 2020 right he had his car detailed on february 23rd 2020 and he he kept the receipt yeah he in the vehicle yes (laughs) wow the man i mean he was clearly not or he just didn't think criminal mastermind (laughs) or he just didn't think he was going to be caught because right well he must have to the point where he had his vehicle detailed do you know what i'm saying like he must have thought they could put this on me. Well, then why not get rid of the receipt? Why not I, yeah. shred the receipt? You know, I mean, or, you know, throw it anywhere else. And, but, and I, I think, too, you know, the burn fact it. they did intentionally call him for questioning and then execute the search warrant so he didn't have time right, to take anything out of his vehicle. But then it's, to me, it's just like, you hear about that in so many cases. Right. These idiots, and, you know, good thing they are idiots. Right. Right. Keeping receipts. I know. And it's like, like under the seat, in the glove box. Yeah, like, and it's like great evidence. Right. But it's like, wow. Why? Why? You clearly did Nowadays, not. Nowadays, I don't get a receipt. I, say, I don't want a receipt. Receipts, yeah, I get usually. digital receipts. I don't keep my receipts for anything. Yeah, and so, of course... You know, they had a really good case. It was all pretty much circumstantial. Right. But to me, you know, they always say that, but, like, sometimes mm. killers don't leave DNA. Right. That's just not always something that happens. So right. that, so I always hate it when there's this idea that there always has to be DNA. Right. Well, right. Because there sometimes just Sometimes there can't be DNA. Because there isn't any. And so... I think of a strong circumstantial case that has multiple, like this one has, you know, like four different things, can be just as overwhelming if if there's it enough can of be. it. Right. And it can be. But there are jurors that don't care, that always want that. Right. Physical the evidence. The physical evidence. Sometimes there isn't any. And should people, should people not be held accountable? Just because they're smart enough not to leave DNA, that's absurd. Right. That's so, idiotic. Um, and think about the old days. There was no DNA. Right. Of any kind. Technic- Everything yeah, was I mean, there technically were, I guess there were fingerprints. Fingerprints, right. But if they didn't Hair, have fingerprints or DNA. Or blood typing. Blood typing, right. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, the odds of someone having the same blood type are pretty, yeah. you know, <laughs> very could happen type easily. Type positive is the most common blood right. type for anybody that doesn't know that. So right. there's so, a lot of... 
I'm saying there were a lot of circumstantial cases back in the day. I mean, we need to still hold people accountable. But I understand that the threshold then has to be higher for those cases with no physical right. evidence. And so, the, you know, this case, they had the surveillance video. They had the cell phone data. They had the receipt for gas and the, or the credit card transaction for gas. And then they had the car detailing receipt. So it's like... It's not just one, you know, when you look at reasonable doubt, is it right. reasonable that he had, that all these things are just coincidences? I don't think it is. Right. No, so no. The, and I've, I've seen people convicted on hardly any circumstance, and then they turn out to be wrongfully convicted. And this is not, you know, one of those cases. This no. is like it could really... This is a strong case. This is a strong it's case. This is about as strong as it gets if with no physical evidence. Yeah. So at this point, there was enough probable cause to make his arrest. Right. Um, after Gooch's arrest, um, investigators looked through his cell phone, of course, to try to get a better idea of, like, what's, what, like, his motive. Right. Because that's another thing that they really, even though they know he has, like, a generalized disdain for Mennonites, they don't really have, like, a clear motive, like, why Sasha? Why why travel three hours right. to find her? So his cell phone or his text messages do paint a little bit more of a picture of his thought process. I still don't think it really it completely explains what was going on in his head, but can you ever really totally do that? I don't no. I mean I would say no. I don't think so. So Mark Gooch has two brothers, Samuel Gooch and Jacob Gooch. And it's interesting to note that Jacob Gooch actually became a state trooper. Oh, a Mennonite and, state trooper. And Ooh. so clearly he was no longer a practicing Mennonite. Right. And Samuel Gooch went into the IT field, which apparently is another uh, occupation that is not allowed within the Mennonite church. Okay, so you, uh, let me just get this straight. In the Mennonite church, I just want to get this straight in my head. You can have a cell phone and a computer, laptop type situation, but you cannot practice in the IT field. You cannot know anything about the maintenancing. I guess. I mean, we'd have to look a little probably more into why that is, but that's interesting. So Sasha Krauss just had a flip phone. Okay. So there's, there's, I don't know what their stance is on computers, to be completely honest. Oh, oh you, okay. You didn't talk about computers, because but phone, cell Her phones. phone maybe just was used for texting and calling okay. and not for any like online stuff. But I don't understand IT, so you can't know about technology too much I, about technology. I, I, I did not okay. look into that, yeah. but that's something yeah. maybe maybe some of our listeners can let, <laughs> yeah, let, let us, us know. know. Let us know why is that? That's yeah, I find that interesting. Okay, um, so it's interesting. I I think he had several siblings, so there may have been other siblings that were still in the church. But all three of these right. brothers had jobs that went against Mennonite beliefs. So when they're reviewing his text messages, they find this message. Um, he was, you know, interacting with his brother Jacob. Uh-huh. And Jacob, again, was the state trooper. Right. So Jacob says in this text message, I gave a Mennonite a ticket, to which Mark Gooch responds, fuck yes, I hope you treated them like shit. Oh, and then J- <laughs> Jacob says... I coughed on him so he would spread COVID at the wedding they're going to. And then Why Mark... did he have COVID while well, he's that... a trooper? What Do, the... I, I don't know. Jeez. I don't he know should, why. He should be arrested just for that. Oh, I have COVID, and now I'm going to just go cough on every everybody I give a so, ticket to. And, okay. and knowing they're going to a wedding. Right. I mean, you should get arrested just for that. Okay. And, then, and then Mark <laughs> Gooch so responds, ha ha, that's hilarious. Oh. So then... You're kind of getting this picture that his brother... It's like, okay, what does his brother know? Right, You know, right. at this point, because clearly he's, like, surveilling Mennonites to kill <laughs> at least one. Right. Um, so, according to these messages, you know, his brother, Jacob, is aware that he's surveilling Mennonites on the days leading up to Sasha's murder. However... 
he doesn't tell him anything in the text messages where they can say that his brother knew specifically knew 100% what he was going to do. Okay. You know, he never says, like, my plan is to murder them. Right. There's no, there's just no evidence of that. Right. Um, because he made a comment in one of the messages saying that, oh, this morning's surveillance was boring. Well, it's like, well, how entertaining <laughs> do you think it's going to be to watch Meta Nights? Meta Nights. Gee, yeah. oh. And was he driving to these little, like, this three hours away frequently? You know, they didn't really say, but I would imagine he was going to, like, various ones on his downtime. So. On his downtime? That's what I do in my downtime. I go to the, I mean, really? He's 21 years old. I know. You're supposed to be out, Have you know, fun. living a little bit of the nightlife. Right. <laughs> Not yeah. surveilling Mennonites. Jeez. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, based on the evidence, though, Gooch did plan uh, in advance to specifically go to the Lamp and Light compound. He, I don't think he specifically knew he was going to encounter Sasha because he right. had no reason to know that. But it was just a crime of opportunity once he got there. It was right. like, who can I, um, whoever he encountered alone. And, you know, she's a female. Right. He knows she's not going to resist. Right. So it, it sounds like when, from the evidence, she when she was walking alone to get the music for the church services is when he saw right, her. Right, which is the last time she was seen. Yes. He abducted her and, uh, you know, put duct tape around her wrists, drove her to sun Sunset Crater, shot her in the back of the head. Again, no sexual motivation that, you know, he did not, it was not a sexual crime. And then went back the next day and no one knows why. Um, now, a few days after Gooch was arrested, a co-worker and friend of Mark Gooch contacted the police, and he tells the police that he has been holding a gun for Mark. Oh. I'm just... And because now he knows that people know, right? Yes. Okay. And it was... So they actually got a... So I didn't find it strange before that. Well, exactly. Like, <laughs> You're like, really, dude? Like, my friend's asking me... Can you me, just hold this gun for me? Yeah. No particular reason. Oh, you're in jail for murder. That's interesting. Now I should call the police and let them know. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. strange. Okay. But at least he did call. He could have just yeah, right, not called. Right, that was nice of Mr. Because then again, more evidence. It was. That's huge yeah. evidence. That's actually. huge evidence. And so it's it's a it's wonderful that he did that. Because um, then you're starting to get, like, ballistic evidence right. that is less circumstantial. Right. Um, so that's a great thing. That's, so they did collect thing. this 22 caliber rifle from <clears throat> this friend, and they were able to match the bullet from Sasha's skull to that gun. To the gun. Okay, good. So, thank goodness. There's really no that. doubts in this case at all. Um, right. But, however, Mark Gooch was unaware that the gun had been turned into the police by his friend. Oh. So, Gooch makes a jailhouse call to his brother Samuel asking him for his help. And he asks Samuel, he says, Hey, my friend has this gun. Can you get that gun without my friend him knowing like he wanted oh. to go in and take the gun like do some kind of a robbery or something like yeah rob the to gun. get the gun back okay samuel who works in it this is the one the it brother was actually giving mark gooch advice on how to wipe di his digital trail from prison so like erase you know google maps history that type of thing so the police who are like intercepting these jailhouse calls perform a sting operation to try to catch Samuel Gooch basically tampering with evidence. Right. Like, what? you know these are being recorded. Exactly. Why? I know. Okay. Do you think they just hmm. don't listen to him or something? <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So the police actually planted a similar gun on that friend's property. Oh. Is like, as part of this sting operation. And as soon as Samuel Gooch takes the gun even though it's a plant they're able to arrest him for evidence tampering right. which can carry a sentence of up to three years in prison right but they do say hey if you testify against your brother we will drop these charges because you know he's gonna lose his job and right. among everything else right and so he actually 
uh, agrees to... Of course he does. ...to that. <laughs> and That'd be pretty ridiculous not to at that point. An IT guy stealing properties. Burglarizing properties. Okay. Yes. yes. Anyhow, so 19 months after his arrest, I'm missing a page, but I'm just going to wing it here. He, uh, Mark Gooch is convicted of the murder of Sasha Kraus, mm -hmm. and he is sentenced to life in prison with all the possibility of parole. Let's stealing a gun. So, at, now that they have the brother willing to testify against Mark Gooch. Uh, Mark Gooch ends up going to trial 19 months after his arrest, and he is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And something I found to be extremely terrible is, you know, there's a quote from Mark Gooch from within, or from the trial, and yeah. he made a statement and I just, it was striking to me how it lacked any accountability. Not that you should be surprised. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that a guy yeah. like that wouldn't be accountable no, because with, he's gotta be a psychopath. Yes. I mean, I would think so with the way he stalked them out. And so his quote that he, this is his, uh, Mark Gooch's statement from court. It says, firstly, I'd like to express my sincere condolences to the deceased's family. And also I'd like to express my thankfulness for the love and support for my own family in this difficult situation. This is not a situation, right. Mark. No, sir. It's a situation he created. This is from your actions. And in no way do you acknowledge that you caused this and you refer to Sasha as the deceased. <laughs> right. I mean, and then you're thanking your own family. Like, and he's expressing just, condolences. He's, he should just get bent and not say anything. Right. As far he as I'm concerned. Would have been better off just keeping his trap shut. Yes. Yeah. And the, uh, the judge made a comment that this was the most senseless murder she had ever presided over which right. is something that was i found to be very striking because i mean other than like you had mentioned i can't remember if it was before or after we had started recording the podcast but that it was, seemed like a hate crime and i really right. agree with that it's almost like someone targeting a random person of another race simply because they had, you know, they had a bad experience with someone of that race. Right. And it's, it's, it's similar to that type of situation. Though, I mean, this is, this is kind of out there. It's almost like a, yeah, it is kind of a religious hate crime, but it's a, of a religion you grew up in. That's what's so right. different about that it. That is and different. It, and it has one victim, whereas usually a lot, most of the time, religious type hate crime murders are... Multiple victims. It so could have been so he was on a path. Like if he had gotten away with this, which he... That's another thing. If it wasn't for the cell phone stuff, right. with the way that right. they did that, he would have gotten away with this. And he probably thought, well, I don't know this girl. Right. They're never going to ever suspect me. And he probably never thought they would do like a reverse cell phone tracking thing. Yeah. And he... It's just, like, if he had decided not to bring his cell phone, he would have never been caught. No, no, ever. exactly. And so this is one where if he had been a little more uh, criminally adept, yes, he could have gotten away with multiple murders before anybody caught on. Yes. You know. That is. If he had not used his cell phone, you know, during that time period, or if he would have... You know, there there were so many things that they did in this case that were particularly um, 
genius. Like they they really mm-hmm. did a good job at putting the circumstantial yeah, evidence together. I can say in the, f- in the future, you know, I may not always say this about law enforcement, but I really have no issue with anything in regards to how this was handled. No, no, and this was definitely one of the more you know they Sa- really savvy cases which is interesting because it's such a remote area right you think this would be like an inner city police unit that would have this type of technology and these type of you know ways to go about solving it but no leave it to rural new mexico so, yeah <laughs> they did a really good job really good job yes. so i think that about sums up that's the the murder of Sasha Kraus and uh yeah I well yeah no that's welcome to bleak I hope you guys liked it if you have any constructive criticism feel free to uh let us know yeah let us know I we love constructive criticism don't be an asshole (laughs) that's 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 what I have to say about that yeah. Um, I mean, you know. at least they can't comment on our looks, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not that we aren't incredible looking. Well, but. we are. In our, you know, I, I don't know. Every to each his own opinion. But we all we have between us had um, seven children. Yes. So I don't know. I don't know. It's so. Anyways, well, thank you so well, much for that, tuning in. Yes. Um, we hope that you listen again as we fine tune our our um, podcast and and go along. Here. And we're hoping you eventually will want to become a bleakazoid. A bleakazoid, I think bleak freak or a bleak freak. Well, you can let us know what you prefer yeah. about that bleak as well. Freak, bleakazoid. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, we will hopefully be back next week. We're going to try to post weekly. Yep. Uh, Weekly-ish, we have seven kids. Keep this in mind. (laughs) (laughs) Of all ages. Our kids are age one to 23. Yes, and all in between. And in between, yes. Yes. And I think there are, what is it? Is it four girls, four boys, four girls and three boys? Four girls, three boys. Yes. Yep. Pretty split Anyhow, there. well, you'll kind of get little nuggets <laughs> yeah. here and there, but you may already yeah. know us and that might be why you're listening. So you're like, yeah. yes, I already know this information. <laughs> but anyways, have a wonderful rest of your day and have a great uh, week. Yeah. Good night. Good night.